Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Uh, today we have Sam Madani. He is the co-founder and CEO of uh, Bomani, which is an alcoholic cold brew drink. So Sam, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit more about you and what you guys are up to um, at Bomani. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Super stoked to be on the podcast. So the Bomani cold buzz story starts with myself and my two co-founders, kind of mean, all working high intensity finance jobs in New York City. We were working like 70, 80 hours a week. And after one of those long weeks, we'd come home on a Friday night, literally change out of our suits and ties. We'd you know, make an espresso, we have a little espresso machine, we make a drink out of it. And after a while of doing that and noticing that all of our friends and family were kind of doing the same thing, we said, why is there no better option than going and get an energy drink, mixing that with vodka, filling your body with like sugars and carbs and synthetic caffeine, just like really all this stuff we didn't want to put in our body. And the other option was to go get an espresso martini. And as much as we loved espresso martinis, we didn't exactly love going to get espresso martinis. It was really inconvenient. Not to mention, we had a lot of friends who were bartenders who hated making espresso martinis because they're really heavy lift and low margin options on a cocktail menu, which we can get more into if you'd like to. And then at the end of the day, those cocktails still have tons of sugars and carbs and dairy and everything. So our, our whole vision for Bomani Cold Buzz was pretty simple. It was healthier, tastier, more convenient. We said if we can make alcohol-infused cold brew coffee, it's healthier, tastier, and more convenient than anything else out there. People are going to appreciate it. People are going to like it. And you know, it'll become a, a hit with the people who we wanted to, to offer it to. So we chose the name Bomani. The name Bomani literally translates to to have purpose, which is a name we chose because we felt like, look, people deserve to be able to go work towards your purpose without sacrificing your social life or your physical health. So in its final form at 5.7% ABV and half a cup of coffee's worth of caffeine, Bomani is only 110 calories. It's zero sugar. It's zero carbs. It's gluten-free, dairy-free, non-GMO, vegan, kosher, and 100% ethically sourced. So kind of check all the boxes there. Very, very thankful to say that despite launching literally on the day Tom Hanks got COVID, if you remember that day, which is like the yeah, day that yeah. really kicked off shelter in place. Very thankful to say that we were really successful in staying true to our goals and staying true to our fundamentals of like building a community. So much so that today... Bomani just got the global mandate for all the whole food stores in California, Arizona, Nevada, and New York. We're in a handful of the Ralph stores in Southern California. We have a number of the Total Wine stores, some of the Sprouts in Arizona, and a handful of other incredible retail partners across uh, our main geographies. We're available to ship direct to consumer in 34 states. We're one of the most successful alcohol brands on TikTok with over 27 million views. And we're excited that all of this comes back to our primary focus, just building a community, 
you know, creating passionate customers, creating memorable and meaningful experiences for people. And we're excited to see what the future holds. Sweet. No, that's really exciting. Um, and yo, Sam, real quick, could you uh, hit, like when you're not talking, hit mute because I was hearing a little bit of echo and then you can unmute. Great. Um, Sam, that's, uh, that's really exciting in terms of getting launched and scaling up, getting into retail and doing all things in a new product category. So the, the first question that I'd have is when did, when did you guys launch and what did getting started look like um, for you guys? Yeah, so the day that, although the day that we sold our first can was that day, you know, in March of 2020, there was a lot that went into it before then. So technically on paper, we launched March of 2020. That's when we started selling. But before we even sold our first can, we had to create the product, create a product that had never been made before. So the first day that the three of us decided we were going to pursue Bomani was June 24th of 2018. I remember that day distinctly because we call it presentation day and we celebrate it every year where we put together a presentation. that was basically the skeleton of what would become our business plan. Again, this is June of 2018. A lot of those fundamentals still remain true today. Make alcohol infused cold brew coffee, make it zero sugar, zero carbs, make sure it tastes really good. Make sure it's available to get where people want it. Make sure it's versatile enough that you can just drink it over ice or you can drink it as part of a cocktail. Um, all the, and then obviously build a community around the product and that being our primary focus. So that was when we first decided we were going to pursue Bomani. We then spent two hours a night after our corporate jobs working on Bomani, which was when we were in investment banking was a lot of the time, like well after midnight when, we were, when that clock started ticking. And then we quit our jobs January of 2019, which is when we really decided to build the, the supply chain and scale the supply chain. That was a massive undertaking that none of us could have ever predicted would be as challenging as it was trust me it feels really good to be on this side of those really high uh, barriers to entry which goes back to a lot of what i said about creating an all-new product in an all-new category like bomani wasn't another seltzer another tequila or anything else that had been made before it was a fundamentally different product that requires a totally different manufacturing process that ended up being extremely challenging to get done but we're very thankful that we earned a contract with one of the largest manufacturers in the world with exclusivity provisions. So all's well that ends well, but the path to get there was very, very far from pretty. Yeah. And one, a couple things that I wanted to go over there, one of which is you were saying you, you guys were doing investment banking jobs in New York and then, which is a ton of time to begin with. And in the spare time, you were kind of like cranking on getting this brand up and going. Um, so what did, what were you guys literally doing as you've decided in June, you're like, okay, this is a brand that we want to build. We've got our jobs. Let's kind of, uh, you know, start building on the side after work as a side hustle sort of thing. So what were the things that you guys were focused on during that side hustle time? And what were, what were you putting in place to, to do before you actually made the jump? Yeah, it's a really good question. So we were doing a couple different things. Obviously on the one hand, we were focusing on how can we get this thing made? And I'll dive into that in a second. The other thing we did is something I recommend anybody does if you have the idea of starting a company. We put together a list of 30 questions that we came up with together. Everything from what's the best advice you can give a young entrepreneur? What do you think about these marketing strategies? What do you think about these production strategies? How do you best manage supply chain? Like 30 questions. We asked those same 30 questions to 20 successful people. Each of us asked 20 successful people. So that's 60 people total. We asked the same 30 questions. We then took notes on all of those 30 questions and looked for patterns in what people would say. 
So what we found was things like, for example, everybody who was who we determined was a really successful person, one thing they all had in common was work with really talented people, work with high quality people. That's one example that's like very, you know, overarching, but there were specificities across the other questions that we asked that we took away because we had aggregated so many people's responses. That's something I recommend because you get a lot of different people's opinions. You also get different people's opinions you respect. And if you look for patterns in those opinions, it's not a coincidence that they all say the same thing and they're all successful. You know what I mean? So Yeah, 100%. And and what so what what were some of the questions you were asking and how did you guys even come up with them? Cuz if you're just saying like let's come up with all these questions to ask successful people, that there's an infinite amount of possibilities. So what what were those questions? How did you guys come up with them? And and what were some of your favorite questions and what were the results you you were getting back? Yeah, 100%. So it was it ranged everything from like general business questions like I mentioned, like what is advice you'd give to a young entrepreneur? What is advice you give someone starting a company? To more industry specific questions. The way we came up with those questions was we all sat down and it was a no holds barred brainstorm session. Throw any question you can. We'd write them all down. And then after we had a list of probably closer to 100 questions or even over 100 questions, we would go through and slowly tab off like, okay, maybe this one's not necessarily important to ask. Oh, this is a great one. Let's ask this one. That's how we came up with a list of questions. The questions had a variety of different topics. And maybe it was because we were so new to the industry as a whole. A lot of them were industry specific. So we would ask questions like, for example, how do you manage a supply chain for a product that has different moving parts or maybe getting ingredients from multiple locations? You can ask those types of questions. You can ask questions as simple as when you're launching a new product, what do you recommend in terms of retail footprint? Should you focus on chain retail, independent stores? Should you focus regionally? Should you focus in a city? Should you focus nationally? Like where, where do you think those focus falls? Um, general best practices and how to select the right influencers, how to how to work with influencers and you know digital different types of um, content creators and everything that happens across channels, how to run paid ads, how to run email campaigns, really every every different facet of our business. We were asking those questions. That's I, I love that strategy because I haven't you know I haven't talked with a lot of entrepreneurs who have actually a lot of it is you go out you you start making some mistakes and then you start maybe asking a couple people questions but I like the intentionality in terms of putting those questions together really focusing on it and going and getting those answers and seeing where the dots connected so then my next question in terms of making that actionable would be like how did you actually ask the questions were you just like emailing them was it a type form and how are you getting in contact with these people was it cold was it email was it linkedin like where 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 was your channel and where what was your medium of collecting the information back totally so it was a combination i'd say 90 percent of them were phone conversations unless someone was like hey just send me it. i'll respond via email because most people don't want to take the same time to write things out it's much easier to kind of you know dictate and then have someone else write um so they were kind of the ones talking through it the way we found them was largely, it was the 20, the, the prompt for us was the 20 most successful people in your network. So that's kind of the way we went about it. So there were existing network connections. There wasn't a lot of outreach and in part because we didn't want people we didn't trust to even know that we had the idea for alcohol infused cold brew coffee. I like that. That's, uh, that's cool. And obviously when, when you're getting started, you want, you want to be able to talk with the people that you can trust within your network um, or applicable. So that's really cool. So then so we've got these answers these questions um and that's so what else are you guys doing in your spare time while you're while you're working your jobs and what what did you need to do before you guys were like okay we're we're out on banking we're we're in on bomani yeah so one of the things obviously we had to get done was how are we going to make the product 
how we're going to make sure that tastes really good. Because our original phase of going through formulation was in the kitchen. We would take different blends of beans, take different alcohol bases and see which ones tasted good together. We ultimately decided on 100% ethically sourced Arabica bean cold brew from southern Mexico, Peru, and Nicaragua, grown at elevation 1,500 to 1,500 feet. Gives it a naturally like chocolatey and caramely flavor. Smells like toasted nuts. Like the, the coffee itself, before we even add the alcohol, is really, really high quality. Then we said, okay, the, that coffee is high quality. What alcohol can we add that doesn't have a bite to it, that doesn't overpower the cold brew flavor? We took a lot of inspiration from saying like, okay, look, products like White Claw can make bubbly water. It, it can make an alcohol that doesn't even affect the flavor of bubbly water. Cold brew coffee is a much stronger, bolder flavor profile than bubbly water. So we should pick a type of alcohol that's similar that has to be possible. So we came up with a we we pursued a brewing process that was that creates a final alcohol that's similar to a vodka, but rather than distill, we ferment and filter, which takes away that bite from alcohol. So when you taste a Bomani, one thing people say is like, oh wait, there's alcohol in this? It was like such a compliment because we really worked hard to make sure the high quality cold brew came through first. So now, okay, fine. We have an idea. We have an idea of the bean blend, what kind of alcohol we want to use. We had this notion for one reason or another that we could just go to local brewers. We were in New York at the time. Local brewers in New York, New Jersey area. Maybe they'll give us a shot. Maybe they'll want to partner up with us on this thing. And we got so rejected over and over and over again. Like, like I can't even tell you. We were in so many meetings, quote unquote meetings, where we would come up, say, who are you guys? Why do you think you can be successful? What a dumb idea. You guys will never make anything. You'll never get this into retail. You'll never get this in a can. All these things that they said, like it was a foregone conclusion. And they kicked kicked us out. Like, all right, dude, like there's no point in you guys being here, whatever. So that would have been very demoralizing. And it goes back to it was one lesson in learning. Do these go when you're gonna embark on this entrepreneurial journey, do it with people who you care about, who you respect and who you trust. Because you're going to have these very, very turbulent moments that you have to have each other's backs during. And the second phase of that was, okay, let's swing for the fences. Let's go for the biggest in the, the world, biggest in the country, and see if they're going to take us. And like I said, that's ultimately the route that we were able to go down. I mean, you've seen the can, you've seen the package. Like We've obviously done a, a really um, – we've had a lot of ability to scale. We've done a really good job scaling up because – you know, it was, it, we are no longer just a brand selling in a couple of stores in New York. We're in multiple states, multiple cities, 34 states, DTC, like supplying that level of product would have only been possible with one of these bigger manufacturers anyway. But the fact that the bigger manufacturers were more interested in taking Bomani is another learning lesson in and of itself. It was a learning lesson in saying to get to that level, that world-class level, it's not enough to be quote unquote fat and happy. You know, it's not enough it was never enough. It'll, it'll never be enough for facilities like that. They're always looking to innovate. If you look at the most successful companies in the world, they have the same philosophy. The Amazons of the world are innovating every single day. So I think that was a really inspiring and, and important takeaway from that experience was that to get to that level, you have to innovate every day. And about another takeaway, swing for the fences because why not? Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting in terms of the smaller manufacturers just not having the interest or bandwidth or anything to do that. Um, I guess one question that jumps into my mind in terms of like the actual manufacturing process, right? You're taking two things that are, that would typically happen in totally different facilities in terms of like making coffee and then infusing it with alcohol. And so infrastructurally, like when you're manufacturing something, those two inputs are coming from different sources and it's just like physically hard to do. So what were, 
what were the solutions for that? And how did, um, you know, when you were actually going into manufacturing, how did you actually land on something that they were able to, to pull it off, right? Because like you were saying, this is something, sure, in my kitchen, it's really easy to take, uh, to take coffee, to take alcohol, put them together and drink it, great. But when it actually comes to manufacturing, when infrastructure has been, been built out, how do you solve for that? And how, what was the approach for your manufacturers? Totally. Right. So, okay. First things first, like I think the general takeaway from how we were able to get this thing manufactured, again, it goes back to really, really talented people, really talented people who understood the vision, who wanted to make this happen, who were passionate about it. That's the overall takeaway of like how we got the product made to begin with. Some of the intricacies is uh, our secret sauce. So we try to keep those a little bit, a little bit uh, close to the chest. But in terms of how we got everything done, I will say that if you have the right people and if they are motivated to do to pursue the same vision that you want to pursue. There's where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, um, okay. So now you guys have secured some manufacturing and like, you like what you're doing, you like what you're tasting, what, it, what your iter iterative process look like in terms of, you know, now that you guys have actually left your jobs, you're starting to create, you find, found the manufacturer. What does iteration look like as you guys lead up to launch? What's going on with you guys at that point? Really good question. Really important question because we wanted to make sure that it, Belmonte wasn't just tasty. It was the tastiest version of alcohol infused cold brew coffee by a mile, which since we've launched, I'm not sure if you've seen like we've won like the World Beverage Innovation Award, nominated for a SIP Award, Editor's Choice of Progressive Grocer. We just won Seltzerland. Like the, the flavor is something we're extremely confident on to the point that the judge of espresso at the New York Coffee Festival literally hugged my co-founder who's our chief development officer for being like, congratulations, basically. Um, in terms of the iterative process, my co-founder, Amin, actually both my co-founders fall on completely opposite sides of the coffee spectrum. Amin is like diesel oil out of a drum, strong, dark coffee, okay? He also grew up in coffee shops, so he led the formulation of Beaumont. On the other side of the spectrum, we have Kai. Kai likes the classic, like, vanilla latte he likes things that are a lot more he's a more casual coffee drinker whereas i mean is like a coffee nut you know we recognized that we had to create a product that was high quality for amin yet not overpowering for kai the fact that both of them loved the final version was like a, i remember the moment that we taste that liquid we're like okay we're quitting our jobs tomorrow that was literally the the final moment that we went and quit our jobs because we went through I mean, I don't even, you know, months and maybe close to 100 iterations of going through different liquids until we finally got to a place where both Kai and Amin were happy. I don't think I don't think any one of us would have wished we rushed anymore because we got to a product that obviously has we've gotten the taste profile where it is. We've gotten the nutrition label the way we want it to be. We've gotten the ingredient label short. It's literally just four ingredients. There's not a single synthetic ingredient in either of our flavors. So um, we're obviously very thankful for all of that. No, that's amazing. So you guys dog fooded it really. Uh, you, you got the recipe that you wanted and then you, you leave your jobs and now what does lead up to actual launch look like? What are the final kind of steps? How are you thinking about things? Did you guys fundraise? Did you bootstrap? Like where, where are we at at this point of the journey before you actually start selling? Yeah, so to get to market, I'm very, very, I mean, we're all very thankful to say that our founding investor was my mother, who came to this country when she was 17 years old, put herself through college working in a gas station. Um, she's been a phenomenally successful entrepreneur, 
She ultimately sold her company in 2019, where she served as CEO. And then she um, kind of stepped down and quote unquote, retired, but not really, because I think people like her, they're too, they're too high energy, right? They're never going to retire, retire. So I spent my life pitching my mom business ideas, including my ringtone business in seventh grade. And although the ringtone business wasn't quite it, and all the other ones that were in between that and Beaumont, I remember I'd tell her and she'd say, this isn't the one, this isn't the one. And I remember vividly calling her when I was in the back of a yellow cab in New York City coming home after work one night. And I was like, it might be the alcohol infused cold brew coffee. And she was like, what? I was like, alcohol infused cold brew coffee. And I gave her the quick one too, kind of mean we're going to be the partners, like all this stuff. And she said, hold on. She goes, this is it. Do this. And I remember the confidence in her voice gave me so much confidence. Like, oh, wow. Like, she believes in it as much as we do. Let's let's do this thing. So she basically got us to production, which was incredible and something that we'll always be thankful for. She's still really involved as an advisor and everything and as a chairperson and everything. So she's incredible to have as part of our team. Leading up into launch, um, nobody, including us, could have predicted COVID, right? One thing that we did build, though, and this was at the recommendation of my mom to her credit, was she said, look, a successful and healthy company is not a company with a good plan. A successful and healthy company is one that can adapt and pivot quickly. So we built our business to be nimble before COVID even hit. Then when COVID did hit, we put that, that structure to work. We said, okay, fine. You know, gyms are closed. Let's hire Barry's bootcamp instructors and do workouts on our Instagram live, not with the intention of selling product, but with the intention of building a community and showing people that we authentically care about them. Remember what the big brands were doing right when COVID hit? Everyone was like, oh, we're in this together. Now buy our product. And I was like, come on, dude. Like, let's let's do something that we're actually experiencing together. For example, like brunch spots were closed, right? And people love Bomani at brunch given that it's alcohol and coffee. So rather than like try to go throw parties at brunch spots, which is something we wanted to do, that was part of the plan, something we do a lot today. Rather than do that, we started releasing content, including how you can make brunch in the comfort of your own home and make it feel like you were at a restaurant, complete with a Bomani. Again, the purpose of that was not to sell product. The purpose of doing that was to show people that we care, that we're an authentic community, that we don't need to have, we want to sell a million Bomani's. We said we don't have to sell them to a million people. We can sell it to a thousand people who actually care about the, the product, the brand, and the vision. So I think those fundamentals are still something that, those fundamentals that we built back then, despite the fact that we couldn't have predicted COVID, stayed uh, stay true through the totally you know, up and down landscape, up and down regulatory landscape, all of the controversy and drama and this and that that happened over the past two years. We were able to navigate all of that because of our principles and our fundamentals. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right when we sold our first camp. No, that's sweet. And community is so important and launching with a strong community is, is something that's really important. I think getting it right is a, a challenge for a lot of different brands, right? Um, so at what like what are you are you basically saying you guys had community in terms of like your friends and like friends of friends and your extended network and that was kind of who you looped in as the initial community and then you started to scale and grow through the different types of content that you were putting out and like kind of leverage um you know different whether it was a berries or different collaborations and that's how you kind of grew out the community in the beginning or, or yeah exactly what was the strategy there yeah no, totally. No, you're totally right. Like it was like friends and family were definitely the core of the community. People discovered Bomani digitally. People discovered Bomani via press releases. People discovered Bomani via our friends and family posting it. And that's kind of how we started to grow the community. But it was definitely very much a snowball effect in that it was 
you know, slow but steady over the first couple of months. Maybe had like a thousand views, two thousand views. You know, not twenty-seven million like we do today. And it started really snowballing as the as we kept growing month over month, quarter over quarter. And then ultimately, as we got out of as we've risen out of COVID slowly but surely to the, to where we are today, we can throw a lot more of the parties, throw events for the community, throw we call them the cold buzz crew, throw like parties and brunch events and concerts and you know all these cool things that we can involve people in. And then we create content to show how we truly are on this journey together. Like if you talk to someone who's part of the Cold Buzz crew, and by the way, all it takes to join the Cold Buzz crew, it's a very inclusive community. Just grab a can and come have a good time. Like literally, grab a can and come have a good time. And um, it's very inclusive. But if you talk to someone in the Cold Buzz crew, you'll get that sense that it very much is a community. One thing I really like about how you're thinking about things is, is the fact that you're bringing in the people that are with you and supporting you from day one you're kind of growing it up naturally and organically with the people who want to be a part of it um so i think that's a a really strong way to start and then my next question is this obviously snowballed into something bigger than just getting like a thousand views you're saying you guys have scaled up and you're at 27 million views over time with your community with your social etc and um you know sam i know you're you're probably on the younger side of like founders that we'll see a lot of the times in CPG and, and D2C. So that probably gives you a little bit of lens into a different way of scaling up a brand, um, you know, in, in that demographic. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about not just like when you were starting, but like, how did you scale up social? What was the strategy there? And when did it start to like catch on and really start to ramp up? Yeah, totally. And it is it definitely, you know, that saying it takes a village, like it takes a village to make something happen. We definitely owe so much of our credit to the Cold Buzz crew because they've been the ones who really helped us like fund and, and grow this grow this snowball as, as we kept growing, you know, bigger and bigger. My co-founder, Amin, um, leads all things content and kind of digital related. So he's taken the lead on, you know, that part of the business, that business unit and everything. I would say that the fundamentals that we stayed through to, true to, especially now that we've grown, is crazily memorable and meaningful. Like, don't just be that brand who's going to say, like, go to a bar, you know, hire a a brand ambassador who you didn't really train well, you didn't really support, have them go around and just like kind of lazily serve samples to people and just whatever. Like, that's inauthentic. That's the big company playbook. We decided to make things like really, really fun. So whether you're coming to one of our events in L.A., in SF, in Las Vegas, in in Scottsdale or in New York City – we're going to throw something that you're going to make sure to remember like, okay, I had a great time at that event. And I'm going to that event because it's a Bomani event. Of course, while you're there, you're going to enjoy a drink. You're going to enjoy an alcohol infused cold brew coffee or a Bomani cocktail or both. But the idea of the event, people aren't going there to drink alcohol infused cold brew coffee. People are going there to be a part of the cold buzz crew. The way we do it again is just like make it memorable and make it meaningful Like make it attach it to music or attach it to a really cool event that's happening in that city like be authentic to if a bar does like a trivia night go be a part of that thing you know be a part of culture don't just sell the product yeah and the other thing that's interesting is the time you were saying like going back to COVID and the time you launched it's kind of it's kind of a crazy time to be launching an alcohol brand because so much of alcohol promotion whether you're building community whether you're selling products so much so much of it relies on entertainment in person people throwing events having people over drinking together that sort of thing and then all of a sudden people are locked up for 
you know, two years um, indoors, maybe, you know, having like wine night or something like that. But it's like a different, it's clearly a different environment than I'm sure you guys were used to and expecting um, when you were going into product development and launch and that sort of thing. So did that kind of force you to lean into content and thinking about how you could like take this brand and, and really lean in on, on digital and cult cultivating community in a digital way? Yeah, of course. I mean, digital was definitely one of our pillars. Another thing that we had to do too was we found that like in terms of the types of content we were releasing and the types of pitches we were doing, it were called dry demos, which for context, typically when you launch a brand, you're allowed to sample that brand in stores. You know what I'm talking about? You go to a grocery store, you get a little sample of everything. You can decide if you want to buy it then. We weren't given that luxury. So we had to educate people on both digital channels and in physical retail channels. So you're at the store right? You walk by our table. We had to, we had to craft a pitch that was educational enough that people were willing to buy a four pack of something they had never tasted. Like that was not a, that was, that was a pretty tall order. You know, that was no small task to coming up with a pitch that could cover an entirely new category of product in like 30, 45 seconds when you have someone's attention in a grocery store. We're very thankful to say that that pitch has now compounded with the actual taste of the liquid again talk about a snowball effect like it's really seen the exponential growth now that we have those things working together so in terms of what we're doing for digital content is very similar to what we're doing in the physical world which was really focused on education what is bomani it's alcohol infused cold brew coffee how do you drink it the most popular way to drink bomani is simply just shake twice pour over ice and for people who want to get really creative with bomani we have like 100 cocktail recipes on our website Everything as simple as our two most popular, which is the cold brew martini, which is kind of like an espresso martini. But the difference is that it's sweeter because cold brew is a lot sweeter than espresso. And it um, obviously the nutrition label is a lot more favorable because it's Bomani. Um, and it's really easy to make the cold brew martini. Another really popular cocktail is the spark plug, which is just Bomani and any kind of cream liqueur. So think like like a rum chata or like a Bailey's or something like that, where you just add a dash of it. You can watch the cream go in over the Bomani. Um and then we also have a hundred like other ones. Like we have Boulevardiers and like all these other creative cocktails on the website the bartender submitted to us, which is obviously something that's really cool to see. So we had to teach people all of that in 30 to 45 seconds in the physical world and even shorter than in the digital world. So we would do like cocktail creation videos, all that good stuff. Was uh you no know, one thing that you had mentioned earlier in the show is just in terms of like the margin and the time it takes to make an espresso and martinis in a bar is like so has that been a, a a, a channel for you guys as we're coming out of COVID things open up um, so they can have like almost an espresso martini in a can. Absolutely. I mean, it has been, we have heard from bartenders say that Bomani is arguably the only value add from a product perspective that they've ever worked with. Cause think about it this way. I recommend you go to your local bartender, ask them what they think about making an espresso martini. I promise you they're not going to like it. Usually it takes 90 seconds to two minutes to make. So it's a very long process to make a make a, an espresso martini versus use Bomani rather than espresso, make it a cold brew martini. It takes 30 seconds to make. The nutrition label is a lot cleaner. You don't have to worry about cleaning an espresso machine or even buying an espresso machine. It, like I said, it tastes a lot better because cold brew is naturally sweeter than espresso. And you can do it for a higher margin. Espresso beans are expensive and usually have to buy in wholesale quantities where you end up wasting a lot of them. So it like reduces the food waste as well because the whole can of Bomani is only like 11 ounces. So if you, God forbid, you waste it, you only wasted 11 ounces, even if you waste the whole can rather than like a whole bag of, of espresso beans. So 
very thankful to say that that has genuinely brought a lot of value to bars. And given the fact that Bomani is alcohol-infused cold brew coffee, not an espresso martini in a can, bartenders get to retain their creativity. So you can do everything, like I said, from a cold brew martini or a spark plug all the way to these different and creative cocktails. We have a, a restaurant here that makes like lavender and honey and chai and all these other creative ingredients in their Belmonte cocktail because they wanted to make it really custom to their place. Yeah, I think that's really cool in terms of thinking about your different footholds in terms of utility that you can provide. And obviously you have the educational side, which is getting consumers to like be like, oh yeah, I want to have, I want to try one of those in a can, but then also being able to kind of as you grow sell into like a pure utility where you solve a pain point and you're like hey i can make this process way easier for you and that's going to help you scale distribution get you more clients etc which is only going to help reinforce the other side of things um as you continue to grow so the next question that i'd have is now that you guys have you know made the drink you've scaled up your education content you're um you're in bars and you're going now you're selling you guys are selling d to c as well as in a bunch of retail locations right so um for our audience why don't you just talk a little bit about like the landscape in general of um cpg and alcohol like what regulation looks like and um you know how you guys strategize around that in terms of being able to blend and mix uh cpg with and direct to consumer cpg with uh your in-store and in event and live sort of presence yeah good question so i think the way that we think about it is always putting the customer first what does the customer want how do they want to buy bomani we have a majority of our customers do buy at retail for whatever reason alcohol is still something that people think about buying in retail more than they do dtc there are alcohol brands that have done a phenomenal job DTC and, you know, 10% or so of our sales are DTC, but it's not a huge part of our business just yet because it's just not what our a majority of our customers prefer. Um, with that said, we always include, you can always buy from our website if you prefer um, to the convenience. Even people who are in California, Arizona, Nevada, or New York may buy from our website because they're like, you know what, I'm busy. I would rather have it delivered to me than grab it from the store. And that's totally cool. By that same token, some people are like, oh, I like to do my alcohol runs, for example, Friday after work, I run to my local Whole Foods, I'll just grab everything, maybe I'll do it with my weekend shopping on Saturday. Like, If that's what we want to do, we want to make sure that they know they can do that as well. So we have a store locator on our site where you can find a store near you. And then the last channel, um, the bars and restaurants, we see bars and restaurants a lot of, uh, as an opportunity for us to create those meaningful and memorable experiences for our customers whether it's just having a can of Bomani, if it's more like a club or like a concert setting, somewhere that's like really fast paced, or have like a really cool Bomani cocktail, like a cold brew martini or a spark plug at one of these venues and kind of like dress it up. Cause like you might have Bomani when you're at your local club, but when you're at your local restaurant, you might want a spark plug or a cold brew martini. Again, always goes back to what is the best thing for the customer? How do they want to get their Bomani? And my other question would be, what is it like selling into uh, bars and restaurants as an alcohol brand, right? Like there are so many people, there's so many different like liquor options. And I'm sure like managers of restaurants are getting hit up all the time about like, hey, check out my new booze, like check out my new um, drink. And, you know, so how do you get that shelf space? What do those deals look like? And, um, you know, how do you pull it off in the beginning? Yeah, so bars and restaurants, what I always tell people, because there's kind of two schools of thought, if you were to talk to someone who has experience in alcohol, on the one hand, they'll say it's all about relationships. If they like you, you're good. And there's a lot of merit to that. On the other hand, they're like, you know what, it's all about respect. If they respect you, if they know that your product will sell, they'll put you in your store. There's a lot of merit to that too. We think that it's just both. You have to earn their trust, 
You have to earn their respect. They obviously have to like you. And the way to build all of that is to number one, be authentic to your brand, go to them and give them something valuable. In our case, we literally say, look, you guys make a lot of espresso martinis. I'm sure it takes a lot of your time. I'm sure it takes a lot of, it's expensive because you keep making espresso, cleaning the machine, doing a lot of stuff. And I'm sure your staff could save a lot of time and you guys could save some money and make a tastier product that, you know, makes a cooler experience for your customer by using Bomani versus espresso and espresso martini, for example. A lot of the bartenders, all of a sudden you have their attention. They're like, that might sound right, but come back next week and keep going back. Be authentic to them. Don't ever interrupt them if they're talking to a customer. Like show them respect. And then when they do give you a shot, because eventually they'll say, look, you've been coming here in a bunch of times. We'll give you a shot. We're going to bring some in this weekend. Go there that weekend. Now it's time to earn their respect. Now that they like you because they recognize you're an authentic person. They recognize that you're persistent, that you like their place. Again, be authentic, be yourself, be true to your brand and sell it. Like when you go there, show the bartender and the bar manager and the general manager and the staff that you didn't just go drop a product off and say, ha, I made my money. I'm done now. That's not how we think about things at all. Like even close. When we get into a bar, that is day one of us beginning the process of creating that passionate customer. So we'll go to the bars. We'll do everything from, like I said, samplings to events to cold brush crew parties, like anything that we that we see fit would be a good fit to that bar in conjunction with the bar. So now they like us. We were true to our word. They we proved that we could create cool experiences for their customers. So they respect us. I think you have to have all of those things together to have a really successful bar or restaurant partnership. Yeah, and I just re- I respect you guys for for doing that and being able to pull it off. The two things that I think really stand out are one in terms of having a product that is differentiated and, and can provide value. Um, that's a big part of it, right? I'm I'm sure the experience would be even harder. Like it's not easy to sell into that category, and I think it would it would be even harder if you were going in and just saying like, hey, we're we're another vodka brand or we're another um, whatever type of liquor brand. It, like the bar is going to be even higher for you guys, right? So the fact that you had an inherent utility and something that was differentiated probably made a big impact. And the other thing is that. Um, you know, the persistence and the respect. I think that's something that's super important. So the first business that I had started was this company called Seated. It's like a restaurant um, app in New York. And, um, you know, we would go in and meet directly with the restaurant owners when we're onboarding restaurants all the time. And the one trick that we got, like in the beginning, we we would go and be like, yo, we're literally sending you more customers. Like let work, work work with us, that sort of thing. And they'd be like, no, get out of here. Um, And then what we did was we started sending them gift baskets, right? Like, so we would send them these gift baskets before we'd even go in and talk to them. And then they'd be like, oh my God, like you sent us this gift. Thank you so much. And then they'd like chat with us. And it was just so funny. Um, but they, you know, at the end of the day, the people that you're working with, and if you want someone to carry your product and work with you, like they're, they're people, right? And it's built on relationships. So like you were saying, you, you want to go in, you want to show these people respect. You want to you know, not like you're just another vendor for them, like stand out, differentiate yourself with yourself and with your product. And if you can do those two things, you'll be able to uh, scale up pretty quickly. Um, so that's really cool. So then moving along from there, what did, what was it like getting into retail? Like what did it take? Because I'm sure a lot of people thinking would be like, oh, it's my dream to get into, you know, a Whole Foods or um, all these different types of grocers around, uh, you know, around the, the state. So what, what was that process like? What was your first win? And then like, how did you scale things up from there? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Whole Foods actually was the first retailer, first chain retailer that gave us a shot. We had been in some liquor stores who were awesome partners to us before that, but ultimately Whole Foods was the first um, chain retailer to give us a shot. I owe a lot of the credit to my co-founder Kai, who's our chief operating officer, who leads the relationships with chain grocers and with distributors. So there's a lot of different ways to get in front of a buyer. You can go through your distributor if you use a distributor. In our industry, we have to use distributors, and we have a lot of incredible distributor partners who have made those meetings possible. So you get the meeting with the buyer, and then some of the same principles stay true from bars and restaurants. Prove you can sell the product. Make sure that they like you. Now, the way that you prove you can sell the product is a little bit different. You should get in the stores, you know, roll your sleeves up and do the work yourself. Demo your product to people. In order to build the demo pitch that we scaled to, you know, we do hundreds of demos a month now. In order to scale that up, we built the pitch ourselves. We were in the stores ourselves. We still go to the stores often. I still go to the stores multiple days a week to engage with customers and see what they're saying, see what they're thinking, always trying to improve on what we know works in our, in our demo program. And I would say that once you get in the store or once you get the meeting with the buyer before you get in the store, be very clear on your value prop. In our case, almost 80% of people who are buying Bomani are buying it as a complement to other beverage choices rather than as a replacement. So people sometimes say, do you compete with hard kombucha or hard seltzer or like, you know, ready to drink spirits? Like, no way. Those are our friends. You know, I love a good beer or a good glass of wine, like whatever. The difference is we always say Bomani electrifies life celebrated moments. So whatever you're celebrating that night, maybe you're going to have a couple of beers with your friends or a couple of hard seltzers with your friends or a couple of glasses of wine. Bomani is the kickoff to that celebration. You know, whatever the celebration is, Bomani is the kickoff to that celebration. From there, you can, you can drink other things. What that means to a retailer, that means to a retailer that you are giving them incremental dollars. You're not taking dollars away from their shelf. Yeah, I think that's a cool way to think about it too, because if you're just, again, if you're just swapping out one vodka brand for another vodka brand, again, they're, they're making the same amount of sales and they're like why, like, why should I kick out this other person and put you on there and you have to show me a lot. Whereas if you can say, hey, um, you know, we're, we're complimentary, like this doesn't, it's not like someone goes into the store and is like, I have this amount of liquor that I like have to buy. They're like, no, I want some wine. I want some beer. I want to like stock my fridge with all these different types of drinks. So I think that's a really cool way to think about in a framework to, to work out of, especially when you're creating a new category and a new product line that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, exist before. So moving on from there, what is, where do you guys currently stand in terms of, retailers and what's like the next what's next on the horizon for you where's your primary focus in terms of like scaling things up yeah so i think we always go to our customers to ask where they want to see bo money they've given us a list of our next kind of hit list of where we need to go set of those next set of meetings like i said we, we literally just launched the the global mandate for all the whole food stores in our in our core geographies so that's kept us very busy. Now we're kind of in the mode again of like, okay, let's pitch to the next set of retailers. I can't say specifics quite yet, but follow us at Drink Bomani on Instagram, TikTok, whatever. And I promise you, if you submit to us a retailer where you want to find Bomani, Kai is my co-founder, our COO, takes those comments very seriously and will reach out to those buyers and get in front of them. No, that's sweet. And uh, I, I love the responsiveness and how you guys are, uh, you know, how you think about the importance of that iterative loop between your customers, right? And like putting yourself in the position where people are reaching out, whether it's with 
feedback where they want to see you guys or feedback about the product and being able to say, Hey, we're, we're listening to you guys. We're, we're in on the community and like, let's make this happen for, for everyone. So I think that's something that's really important in terms of keeping your ear to the ground and being super responsive. And, and that's how, that's how you can like scale up pretty quickly. So, um, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what, where can people, where can our listeners find you guys in terms of Bomani, the brand, and where can they find you personally if they're, they want to connect with you? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn? Like what, where, where, are you, where are your socials at? Yeah, 100%. So to follow Bomani, our website is just drinkbomani.com. That's drink, B-O-M-A-N-I.com. So drinkbomani.com is our website. That's where you can find our store located or find a store near you. That's also where you have our online store where you can just order Bomani straight to your doorstep in 34 states. Um, in terms of our socials, everything's just at Drink Bomani. Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you prefer. Um, to connect with me personally, I think the best way to find me is LinkedIn. LinkedIn, my name's Sam Madani. My last name's spelled M-A-D-A-N-I. Um, you can tell it's me because I have Bomani everywhere in my profile. And that's probably the best way to connect with me, yeah. Sweet. Well, anyway, Sam, appreciate you joining us on the pod today. Loved hearing about, uh, you know, the whole journey from formulation to scaling up to seeing you guys in all these different retailers. So, you know, as I mentioned, hit us up next time you're down in Miami. Let's run it back in person and uh, can't wait to see as you guys continue to grow. I will definitely be calling you next time in Miami. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Sam.